You're listening to episode 193 of Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In just a little over three weeks' time, Mid-America Reform Seminary will host its 2023 Center for Missions and Evangelism Conference in Lansing, Illinois on October 6 through 7. This conference will bring encouragement to church leaders and lay people alike by focusing on what it looks like to do faithfully reformed, outward-facing ministry in an age of adversity. There's still time to register if you haven't done so already. You can do so at midamerica.edu slash CME slash conference. Register today and join us for this opportunity as we seek to grow and learn together. Well, I'm here with Dr. Alan Strange for one last time to talk about Christian nationalism. Dr. Strange, how are you doing today? Very well, by the grace of God. Uh, This has been uh, difficult, discussing uh, Christian nationalism. I don't prefer to be so seem so negative about something, but as I said at last time, my real concern here is how this all comes out in the wash ministerially. What would this mean in a in a kind of incarnational way if if Wolf and others' um, approach were to be followed? What would this mean for the church? Where would this land Christians in dealing with their non-Christian neighbors? I don't think it would land them in any way that would be good and that would would require coercion because nobody is voluntarily going to submit uh, to the approach that's set forth here. After all that we've talked about thus far, we now come to this question, what do we do with and about Christian nationalism? Dr. Strange, in your estimation, what are the best critiques of Christian nationalism? Well, this is a the best critiques question. It's a good question, a necessary question. That's sort of a moving target, isn't it? Because Wolf's book just came out really at the end of last year, and this stuff has, as I say, particularly developed. We talked about some of the development of this even in some in some of the titles I gave earlier before the Trump administration, but it's taken on a particular flavor in the Trump administration and even more of a flavor in the aftermath of the tragic death of George Floyd. Mm. Because you may recall, our listeners may recall, that was a kind of watershed moment uh, three years ago. Uh, his death became a sort of cause celeb, and um, it inspired, if I can use that word, or it, it helped foster and create a, a series of riots and so forth uh, that summer and things went on. And then, of course, the election uh, in 2020 has been disputed. I don't know if people realize that. Uh, <laughs> there is a dispute uh, about the 2020 election, and again, that's a, that's a political matter. The Bible says nothing about it. I mean, that's part of the problem here, Jared, is this notion, and you get this in Wilson's Mere Christendom too, this notion that the Bible says something very specific and detailed. Uh, Wilson talks about like what the tax rate should be, and anything over this is unbiblical. Well, the Bible does not address that. Let me just say this. The Bible... Uh, speaks in terms of a uh, of an ancient, a primitive agricultural society, 
And you might say, well, at least for that primitive agricultural society as opposed to our post-industrial digital society. You know, it, it gives them everything they need. Well, let me take some issue with that. Let me say this. Yes, the Bible gives us all that we need for doctrine and life. It gives us all that we need for godliness and living our lives and all the doctrine. No question about that. But it does not give in specific details. Uh, Calvin says it doesn't give us a, a form of government for, for states to have. They can have various forms of government. And he also made it very clear that that the it doesn't give us detailed set of laws like it gave Israel even. But let me say this. Even the detailed set of laws for Israel did not address everything that they needed for their lives. It addressed what God believed they needed to have addressed, and he thus addressed it. One of the most important issues of the ancient world was water rights. Mm. And nowhere does the Bible address this. So does that mean that they didn't have laws concerning it? Does it mean that they didn't have treaties with other nations, that is people groups, with respect to it? You know, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that the purpose of the Bible has never been, and we say this sort of thing, it's not a science textbook. It's not a, it's not a, a civics textbook. It doesn't give us detail for all of these things, all of every area of life. Yeah. And, um, and certainly when we get to the New Testament, we don't get any notion that the church in its going out, and yes, it's supposed to take the gospel to every nation, baptizing them, teaching them to obey whatsoever the Lord has commanded. But this doesn't mean the details of their civil governments. It simply doesn't mean that. And if you want to enshrine these kind of things in law, well, you're going to have a big, this is one of my problems with Doug Wilson's book, you're going to have a lot of disagreement among Christians because I don't agree that that the level of political detail that some of my some of my friends might think is there is there. And I think it's something we have to argue for. You see, if you can just say for every political position you have, thus saith the Lord, well, there's nothing to argue about. There's mm-hmm. nothing – that's simply it. Uh, but I think we have to be very careful. When I preach the word in the pulpit, I'm very careful when I say thus – as I say thus saith the Lord, as I preach, because I don't want to be preaching my opinion. I don't want to be preaching my views. I don't want to be making political arguments and other kind of arguments. I only want to be preaching the word. And good Christians can take those principles of the word and come to different views. It reminds me of a of a good Dutch brother in Canada who came to me, and this man was as straight an arrow in terms of the three forms of unity and the Christian faith as you get. And this man came from the Netherlands, and he had been in some significant executive positions over in North America, and so was familiar with our culture. And he said, but in my own culture where I come from, I'm regarded as very conservative, but because I think that it's not inappropriate for the state to have some role, for example, in health care. Americans talk to me, my American Christian friends in the URC even said, some of them talk to me like, you know, I'm a socialist or a communist, I'm in a, and they don't understand how I can be a conservative Christian, a confessional Christian, and believe in this. And he said they seem to think that the Bible explicitly sets forth that the state should not have this role. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I don't think they're correct because I don't think the Bible does do that explicitly. I said, now, whether the state ought to be involved in health care is a legitimate argument. I think socialism and communism, if you look at it historically, everywhere it's been, it's they're not about the creation of wealth. It dries up the wealth. 
You know, it sounds good on paper. It looks good on paper, just like Christian utopianism looks good on paper. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people say, and some of the some of the good brothers here who are saying we need to return to some sort of mere Christendom, or we need to we need to get back to some kind of of of, of Christianized whole society. Uh, when you say, well, there were problems when this happened, and there are likely to be problems. I mean, you might think people are better than they are. You might think Christians don't make all these mistakes, uh, and they say something like, well, we need to get back to this because it hasn't really rightly been tried. Well, that's what I always hear from my socialist and communist friends, that it's never quite been tried. And so this is true. This this is a kind of utopian scheme being set forth here. Um, And all these kinds of schemes in this world, uh, having to do with the kingdoms of this world and, and, and how this works out. This, this is a problematic thing. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about best critiques of this, that was your question. We should get back to that. Uh, I do think Kevin DeYoung, I mentioned him in the first one. I think his Gospel Coalition one is very good because Kevin is also, um, Stephen Wolf, I should say, has his PhD from, uh, LSU. And his PhD from uh, LSU is in some of these thinkers that he's dealing with uh, from these previous centuries, these reform thinkers. And uh, he does cite Witherspoon, who uh, Kevin DeYoung has his PhD on, John Witherspoon. So there's a lot of good overlap. Kevin has a, a good understanding of this area. And so he, his Gospel Coalition, fairly lengthy review, has a 24, 25-page review, is very good. I mentioned, I think Neil Shinvey's is particularly good as well. He particularly uh, aptly criticizes uh, what what he has to say, what Wolf has to say about nation and ethnicity and how this all plays together. And there's a there's a there's a criticism from a fellow named Eret, John Eret, and his is called Was Nietzsche Right? Now now. Dr. Wolf has answered this or attempted to answer this in some measure, though I don't think he has really answered it. And he says, uh, uh, Professor Eretz says that Wolf's controversial book invites a stark question. And the question is, why has the West, why is it so in love with this universalism and it despises the particularity? It wants this global citizen it wants you know it wants everybody to be just sort of break down all the national distinctions and all that and he argues that christianity itself is a part of what has contributed to the west in this in this oneness notion because we're all created act 17 he made all mankind of one blood Yes, he made them very differently, but he made them of one blood. And what he asks in this article, Eret asks in this article, is entitled, Was Nietzsche Right? And he argues that Wolf's kind of particularism actually, and what he calls for in The Will to Power and all these calls that he makes in the book uh, against this kind of docility and passivity sound more Nietzschean than Christian. And that, that Nietzsche's argument of the particular and of the Ubermensch even among the particular seems to track more with what, what Wolf is saying than it does with Christianity. So I, that's a, that's another one. Uh, and then there are more, there are more, there are general ones, like even there was, there was one a few months ago in, uh, in the New Yorker called How Christian. Now you say, well, the New Yorker, that's a, a liberal literary magazine. That's correct. But 
The article is entitled, How Christian is Christian Nationalism? Many Americans who advocate it have little interest in religion and an aversion to American culture as it currently exists. What really defines the, the movement? And there's some, again, there's some useful things here. Um, one of the things uh, that concerns me particularly too, uh, Jared, is that we live in such a polarized culture that um, I, I would suspect even a lot of our good listeners and supporters can be tempted to just listen to those news sources or read those things that are, sort of agree with them. And you can really get into a bubble and you can really unfit yourself from dealing with anybody who doesn't agree narrowly with you on everything. And so you have friends, because many people will say, you know, there, there are, there are ardent Trump supporters right now. You know, we're, we're not done with, with former President Trump. I think everybody knows that he's running again, but there are people who love Trump and they hang out with a bunch of people who love Trump and they, they will say to you, I can't imagine anybody who doesn't love him or are, or I don't know why anybody cares for the other man, for, for the current president. And there are there are supporters of of Biden and other Democrats who will say the same thing about the other side. I can't imagine because they only know and hang out and talk with those kind of people. And there's a sense in which this book is saying know and talk and hang out with people that think like you do. This this kind of particularity. And there's a there's a right place for that because you you want a proper separation from the world, right? You want a proper separation from the world. But I don't think it's the case that all Christians have to agree narrowly on all these political matters. I would prefer – there's plenty of arguments here in the book that Wolf makes or that Wilson makes in his Mere Christendom book that I'm perfectly fine with you making these arguments. Make the arguments. Make your case. But when you throw Christian on top of it, you earlier asked about Christian and nationalism. You're throwing Christian on top of all this which I don't think is the case at all because for it to be Christian in the way you're arguing it, it needs to be explicitly thus saith the Lord from the word of God and we all need to adhere to it. If it's not contrary to Christian principles, I understand that. That's one thing. But there's a real concern about just throwing holy water over everything and saying, you know, my program is a Christian program as if you don't have to fully argue for it. I, I, I don't buy that at all. And I'm concerned here then that not only would this approach be coercive with respect to, to non-Christians, it's going to be coercive with respect to other Christians. Mm-hmm. What about all the Baptists? Who, who, that's a rather important issue. Now they tried, Wolf tries to address this, but I don't think it's quite successful. I, I'd love to talk more about why I think it's not quite successful, but I think Baptists should be very concerned about this. And I am a very strong Presbyterian, but I have no desire or intent to use anything other than gospel persuasion to persuade all my, my dear Baptist friends. I don't want the magistrate involved in any sense of the word. And I, I read what they've said. I've read what, what Wilson has said on this. I've read what Wolf has said. I know what they would say. They would say, well, we're not trying to do that, but there are not proper safeguards for that. And I, I could say more about that. As we round out this series, Dr. Strange, what do you see as the solution? Where should our focus be? Well, I think we need uh, to recover our spiritual equilibrium and put Put politics in its place. That's, I, I think this approach raises politics. I think our problem with our friends on the left 
is that they've politicized everything. Everything is is politicized. We don't want to make the same mistake. We politicize everything on the right. Kevin DeYoung has rightly referred to this movement of Christian nationalism as we've been describing defining it here as wokeism on the right, a wokeism of the right. And I think he's right about that because it has many of the same ethos. And I don't want to simply uh, uh, seek to to be plugging something here I've written, but I have written and will be published um, after the new year in a book called Empowered Witness, Politics, Culture, and the Spiritual Mission of the Church. Now, I realize, and I talk about in this book, we can talk about the church as institute and organism And I'm really talking about the church's institute here, but I think that the church's institute should be something core and central and shaping our lives and everything that we do uh, that's not in the church narrowly understood, that's, that's living out kingdom ethos, should be done as Christians in a humble, loving, godly way, not in any way that indicates we're here to, um, to make you, I mean, we, we don't like the, and I think a lot of, you know, what drives all this? Why are people even thinking about revolution and talking about this? I think things like drag queen story hour has, you know, made people think, oh my goodness, this is, this is a kind of, uh, of abuse of children, which I agree with that. And so what's the solution? And the solution is to fight back in this kind of very, um, we're being tyrannized and we need to take take over uh, way that I don't think is warranted. And uh, I think I, I could quote from from my book here, uh, but I, uh, I I would just I would just encourage encourage people to think in this way that the 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 spiritual call that pertains to the church is a call that challenges the church neither simply to become the world by echoing its highest humanism, nor to flee from the world and retreat into a holy huddle. Rather, the church must be what Christ has called her to be, both for her own good and for the world's, all to the glory and eternal praise of our triune God. And I don't think that this Christian nationalism movement, as we've talked about and it's been defined here, does that. We greatly appreciate Dr. Strange taking the time to engage in thoughtful dialogue during this podcast series and to challenge us to examine complex issues surrounding Christian nationalism. Next week, Dr. J. Mark Beach joins us for a three-part series on the Pactum Salutis, Historia Salutis, and the Ordo Salutis. For those unfamiliar with these Latin theological terms, let me give you a quick preview. The Pactum Salutis refers to the covenant of redemption, the agreement made between the persons of the Trinity before creation to save fallen humanity. The Historia Salutis is the history of salvation as it unfolds throughout Scripture. And the Ordo Salutis describes the logical order of how salvation is applied to us. Over the course of this series, Dr. Beach will walk through each of these concepts in a clear and compelling way, helping us to understand the coherence and beauty of the Bible's overarching story of redemption. If you enjoyed this episode and this series on Christian nationalism, consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your ears and helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. See you in the next episode.